0: Well, good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Howdno. This is the Ken Howdno Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, days of November 17th, 321st day of the year. 44 days remain till the year is over with. <clears throat> and then we'll start a new one. Well, holidays and observances, which I do because you all ask me to. National Take a Hike Day, International Students Day, National Unfriend Day, World Prematurity Day, International Happy Goose Day, National Baklava Day, National Homemade Bread Day, Human Animal Awareness Relationship Awareness Week, Transgender Awareness Week, National Young Readers Week, Lung Cancer Awareness Month. National Children's Month, World Vegan Month, National Peanut Butter Lovers Month, Movember, National Epilepsy Awareness Month, National Native American Heritage Month. It's interesting how many prominent people claim Native American heritage when they don't have it. Uh, Manatee Awareness Month, National Promegranate Month, National Novel Writing Month, and National Adoption Month. Well, in eight eighty seven, Emperor Charles the Fat deposed by the Frankish magnates in an assembly at Frankfurt, leading his nephew Arnulf of Carinthia to declare himself king of the East Frankish Kingdom in late November. Eleven eighty three, Genpei War, Battle of Mizushima takes place off the Japanese coast where. Minamoto no Yoshinaka's invasion forces intercepted and defeated by the Tara clan. 1292, John Belial becomes King of Scotland. 1405, Sharif al hushim establishes the Sultanate of Sufu. I'm sorry, Sulu. 1494, French King Charles VIII occupies Florence, Italy. 1511, Henry VIII of England concludes the Treaty of Westminster. That's a pledge of mutual aid against the French with Ferdinand II of Aragon. 1558, Elizabethan era begins. Queen Mary I of England dies, succeeded by her half sister Elizabeth I of England. 1603, English explorer, writer, and courtier um, Sir Walter Raleigh goes on trial for treason. 1775, city of Coopio, Finland, belonging to the Sweden at the time, is founded by King Gustav III of Sweden. 1777, Articles of Confederation are submitted to the states for ratification. 1796, French Revolutionary Wars, Battle of the Bridge of our cult. French forces defeat the Austrians in Italy. 1800, the United States Congress holds its first session in Washington, D.C., 1810, Sweden declares war on its ally, the U.K., to begin the Anglo-Swedish War, although no fighting ever takes place. A lot of dirty looks, though. 1811, Jose Miguel Carrera, Chilean founding father, sworn in as president of the executive junta of the government of Chile. 1820, Captain Nathaniel Palmer becomes the first American to see Antarctica. Palmer Peninsula is later named after him. 1831, Ecuador and Venezuela separated from Gran Colombia. 1837, an earthquake in Valdivia, south-central Chile, causes a tsunami that leads to significant destruction along Japan's coast. 1856, American Old West, on the Sonoita River in present-day southern Arizona, the Army establishes Fort Buchanan in order to help control new land acquired from the G- in the Gadsden Purchase. In 1858 modified Julian day zero also in 1858 the city of Denver Colorado is founded <clears throat> 1863 American Civil War siege of Knoxville begins Confederate forces led by General Longstreet place in Knoxville Tennessee under uh, siege 1869, in Egypt, the Suez Canal linking the Mediterranean Sea with the Red Sea is inaugurated. 1878, first assassination attempt against Umberto I of Italy by anarchist Giovanni Passanati, who was armed with a dagger. The king survived with a slight wound to the arm. Prime Minister Benito Curio blocked the aggressor, getting an injury in a in a leg. 1885, the serbio bulgarian War, the decisive battle of Silvnitsa begins. 1894, H.H. Holmes, one of the first modern serial killers is arrested in Boston, Massachusetts. There are those who actually believe he might have been Jack the Ripper. His name was Herman Webster Mudgett, better known as Dr. Henry Howard Holmes, or H.H. Holmes. He was a con artist and a serial killer, acted between 1891 and 1894. By the time of his execution in 1896, he had engaged in a lengthy criminal career that included insurance fraud, forgery, swindling, three to four bigamous illegal marriages, horse theft, and even murder. Most notorious crimes took place in Chicago about the time of the world's uh, Columbian Exposition in 1893. Despite his confession of 27 murders in including some folks who were verifiably still alive, Holmes was convicted and sentenced to death for one murder. Not a business partner, accomplice Benjamin Pettinel. Believed he also killed three of Pitadel's children, as well as three mistresses, the child of one mistress and the sister of another. He was hung May seventh, eighteen 1896. He's the one that created the so-called murder castle, a three-story building he commissioned in Chicago. Well, it's, uh, it has got an interesting history. There's no question about that. Well, 1896, Western Pennsylvania Hockey League, which later became the first ice hockey league to openly trade, and our players began to uh, play in Pittsburgh's Shinley Park Casino. 1903, the Russian Social Democratic Labor Party splits into two groups. The Bolsheviks, which is Russian for majority, and Mensheviks, Russian for minority. 1939, nine Czech students are executed as a response to anti-Nazi demonstrations prompted by the death of Jean Opelotel. All Czech universities are shut down, and more than 1,200 students are sent to concentration camps. (coughs) Excuse me, since this event, International Students' Day, is... Celebrated in a lot of countries, especially in the Czech Republic. 1940, the Tartu Art Museum is established in Tartu, Estonia. 1947, Screen Actors Guild implements an anti-communist loyalty oath. 1947, American scientists Jarn Barden and Walter House, Retain, observe the basic principles. Principles of the Transistor, a key element for the Electronics Revolution of the 20th century. 1950, Lama odon is officially named the 14th Dalai Lama. Also in 1950, United Nations Security Council Resolution 89 relating to the Palestinian question is adopted. Which, uh, quite frankly, based on what's going on today, I uh, don't think had a lot to do with but um, accomplished a great deal. 1953, remaining human inhabitants of the Blasket Island and Kerry, Island are evacuated to the mainland. 1957, Vickers Viscount GAOHP of British European Airways crashes at uh, Belarup after the failure of three engines on approach to Copenhagen Airport. The cause of a, is a malfunction of the anti-icing system on the aircraft. Luckily, there were no fatalities. 1962, President John F. Kennedy dedicates Washington Dulles International Airport, serving the Washington, D.C. region. Speaking of Kennedy, I think it's November 22nd is the anniversary of his uh, assassination, which um, a lot of new information has come to light and there are many who are pointing the finger at the uh, at it being a government coup 1967 Vietnam war acting on optimistic reports he had been given on November 13th president Lyndon I'm going to be king johnson tells the nation while much remained to be done we're inflicting greater losses than we're taking we're making progress 1968 British European Airways introduces the BAC-111 into commercial service. 1968, viewers of the Raiders-Jets football game in the eastern U.S. are denied the opportunity to watch its exciting finish with NBC broadcast Heidi. Instead, something changes to sports broadcasting in the U.S. 1969, Cold War. Negotiators from the Soviet Union and the U.S. meet in Helsinki, Finland to begin Salt One negotiations aimed at... Uh, limiting the number of strategic weapons on both sides. 1970 Vietnam War, Lieutenant William Calley goes on trial for the My Lai Massacre. um, I got to know him in uh, Columbus, Georgia. He was convicted by court-martial for the murder of 22 unarmed South Vietnamese civilians at the My Lai Massacre on March 16, 1968 during the Vietnam War. Released to house arrest under orders by President Richard Nixon three days after his conviction. New trial was ordered by the U.S. Court of Appeals for so the Fifth Circuit, but that ruling was overturned by the Supreme Court. Uh, Cowley served three years of house arrest for the murders. Public opinion at the time about Cowley was divided. Um, since his dismissal from the U.S. Army and release from prison, he's pretty much kept below the radar. His. Uh, father was a U.S. Navy veteran of World War II there were those that said um, he was not exactly the sharpest knife in the drawer well I'm not going to go into detail about the Milan massacre you can find that in any number of history books 1970 lunar program Soviet Union lands a uh, Lunokhod one on the Mare Sea of Rains, on the Moon. First roving, remote-controlled robot to land on another world is released by the orbiting Luna Seventeen spacecraft. Nineteen seventy-three Watergate scandal. to Florida. President Richard Nixon tells Foreign Associated Press managing editors, "I'm not a crook." Nineteen seventy-three. The Athens Polytechnic uprising against the military regime ends in a bloodshed in the Greek capital. 1983, the Zapatista Army of the National Liberation that's founded in Mexico. 1986. the flight crew of Japan Airlines flight 1628 are involved in a UFO sighting while flying over Alaska. the uh, interesting thing. There's been a lot of um, UFO sightings. I've got a list going back to 1450 B.C. um, Of UFO sightings. So certainly it is. um, There's something to it. In spite of our government's attempts to poo-poo the whole idea. 1989. Cold War. The Velvet Revolution begins. Czechoslovakia a student demonstration in Prague is quelled by riot police. This sparks an uprising aimed at overthrowing the communist government. This uprising succeeded in overthrowing the government on December 29th. 1990, Fugendek, a part of the Mount Unzen volcanic complex, Nagasaki Prefecture, Japan, becomes active again and erupts. 1993, House of Representatives passes a resolution to establish the North American Free Trade Agreement. 1993, in Nigeria, General Sani Abaka ousts the government of Ernest Shonakan in a military coup. 1997, in Luxor, Egypt, 62 people were killed by six Islamic militants outside the Temple of Hatshepsut. Known as the Luxor Massacre, the um, this Luxor Massacre, which was a terrorist attack, was perpetrated by Al jamaz Al Islamaya, and resulted in the death of sixty-two people, most of whom were innocent tourists. Took place at the Daya El Bahari, an archaeological site located across the Nile from the city of Luxor. The, um, the six gunmen killed 58 foreign nationals and four Egyptians. They descended on the mortuary temple of Hatshepsut about uh, 8 in the mo- 45 in the morning, killed two armed guards at the site they trapped the tourist in the temple and they systematically uh, killed for 45 minutes during which many bodies especially those of women are mutilated with machetes body of an elderly japanese man was also found uh, mutilated a leaflet was discovered stuffed into his body that read no tourist in egypt and was signed to omar abdul Rahman's squadron of havoc and destruction among the dead was a five-year-old english child Suna Turner and four Japanese couples on honeymoon. There were actually 26 survivors. The attackers then hijacked a bus, but ran into a checkpoint of armed Egyptian national police and military. One of the tourists was wounded in the subsequent shootout, and the rest fled into the hills where their bodies were found in the cave, apparently dying by suicide. The... Uh, Another leaflet was found calling for the release of Omar Abdel Rahman from a US prison. Said the attack had been carried out as a gesture to exiled leader Mustafa Hamza. Also on the leaflet it said we'll take revenge on our brothers who have died on the for our brothers who have died on the gallows. Which is so zero lunatics in every country. In 2000, a catastrophic landslide in Logpod, Mangartum, Slovenia, killed seven and caused millions of... of, um, It's called SIT. It's the uh, currency of Slovenia. Um, Until the introduction of the euro on January 1st, 2007 but it caused millions of SIT of damage, one of the worst catastrophes in Slovenia in the last hundred years. 2000, Alberto Fujimori is removed from office as president of Peru. 2003, actor Arnold Schwarzenegger's tenure as the governor of California began. He became the governor on that date. 2012, at least 50 schoolchildren were killed in an accident at a railway crossing near... Uh, Manfalut in Egypt. 2013, 50 people are killed when Tatarstan Airlines Flight 363 crashes at Kazan Airport in Russia. 2013, a late-season tornado outbreak strikes the Midwest, Illinois, and Indiana are most affected when tornado reports as far north as lower Michigan. In all, about a dozen tornadoes, uh, excuse me, Six dozen tornadoes touched down in about an 11-hour time period, including seven EF-3 and two EF-4 tornadoes. And in 2019, the first known case of COVID-19 is traced to a 55-year-old man who'd visited a market in Wuhan who by province in China. So no matter how you look at it, it comes back to the fact that COVID began in China, even though... Our news media has done everything it can but blow up the transmitters in order to keep that information uh, quiet. Now, I was asked by several people to uh, put together an update on what's going on in the Middle East. And I do try to respond to uh, request reasonable request that is well the birthplace of jesus is dismantling all the christmas decorations in solidarity with their people in gaza now Bethlehem was once a Christian stronghold. But, uh, unfortunately, Christians are no minority in the region due to persecution, immigration, and low birth rates. Uh, it's an ancient city located on the West Bank. And it declared through social media and official spokespeople that decorations installed in previous years in honor of Christ are being removed from... Amid the conflict between Israel and Hamas, the um, according to what the city said on Facebook, Bethlehem municipality crews announced the dismantling of Christmas decorations installed years ago in the city's neighborhoods and moving off festive appearance in honor of the martyrs and solidarity with our people in Gaza. The martyrs are, of course, Hamas. And a city spokesperson officially acknowledged the campaign to remove Christmas decorations. You know, everyone overlooks the fact, whatever, whichever side you may be on, this current um, spate of killings was started by Hamas. well Israel has also made history using the era 3 system which is basically a, a space defense system uh, It's being used to intercept missiles fired in the Red Sea region and the uh IDF has said it struck an Islamic Jihad stronghold overnight Thursday night during uh, continued ground operations in Gaza. Now, the communication systems are down in the Palestinian territory for the second day as UN aid agencies uh, warned the Gaza Strip lacks adequate food and clean water. Now, according to reports I've received, uh, members of the IDF have tried to deliver Food and water and fuel to the hospitals and Hamas officials have uh, refused to accept them. They are looking for something they can put in the media to show uh, Egypt, uh, Egypt, uh, Israel in a bad light. Now there are quite a number of um, stories in the news, especially a few monitor short way, which I've gone back to doing. I used to do it religiously. And uh, I stopped for many years and now I've gone back to doing it. Let's see what else we got. A lot of the universities have become hotbeds of anti-Semitism. Um, I'm really not sure what uh, marching and rioting and is going to do, because it's not going to accomplish anything other than make a lot of people angry. And a lot of the elite universities are having donors turn their backs and walk away. Harvard, Yale. And a lot of people are, um, those education professionals are jeopardizing their career by attacking conservative students. Even CNN. Is reacting to the pressure. Uh, there was a gentleman who, um, you know, the, let's see where it was at, a Jewish protester in Ventura County. And a um, computer science professor uh, apparently struck a uh, elderly Jewish man, and he fell, hit his head, and died. And the professor is being charged with involuntary manslaughter. And it was all over. Pro and anti-Israeli demonstrators. All right, what else? Well, as it stands right now, Well, that's pretty much it, um, insofar as I've got available right now. You know, we've been talking about, uh, haunted hospitals and schools and asylums and other institutions. And we, uh started talking about St. Thomas um, Hospital. Of course, it's in uh, London. You know, the original St. Thomas Hospital, if you missed that part of yesterday's show, dates back as far as the 12th century. Now, historians aren't quite sure of the precise year in which it was built, but it was named after St. Thomas Becket. And uh, that wasn't made a saint till 1173. He was hacked to death by four knights after he pissed off uh, King Henry II. And Henry is supposed to have said to a bunch of his knights, well, no one rid me of this turbulent priest. So four of them went over with their swords and hacked him to pieces. Well, the first St. Thomas Hospital was located in the uh, Southwark district of the city in took care of London's uh, penniless and destitute masses. Until the 1860s, when the powers that be decided to move St. Thomas to Lambeth. Queen Victoria personally laid the first stone of the current St. Thomas's Hospital herself in 1868. New facilities designed to be both bigger and far more modern than the former premises had been. Well, in the 21st century, St. Thomas's Hospital is a bustling um, hive of activity. Accommodates hundreds of inpatients and a multitude of other medical services. It's part of the King's College uh, London School of Medicine. Offers clinical experience and education to hundreds of new medical students uh, and workers each year. Operating on the cutting edge of modern medical care technology and teaching, this uh, monolith of glass, plastic, and steel might seem like a strange place to run into ghosts, but... uh, One thing we've learned over the years, wherever there's a dead and dying, there actually tends to be ghosts. And a hospital is certainly a place where folks uh, die. Now, Many of the doctors, nurses, and medical care providers who work on the wards of St. Thomas have heard of the ghostly gray lady who's haunted the hospital for at least 100 years, and possibly longer. Those who have encountered her talk about her being in the early mid, uh, early to mid-30s, and uh, she gets her name from the long-skirted gray nursing uniform that uh, she wears. She's usually encountered in the area of Block 8 in the hospital's south wing. And it is interesting to note that nurses during the late 19th and early 20th centuries did indeed wear long gray dresses, until the more traditional nursing uniform we know today became commonplace after the First World War. Now, One of the world's best-known ghost hunters, Peter Underwood, collected a significant amount of eyewitness testimony regarding the Grey Lady. A lot of it recorded and signed off by the doctors and nurses who had seen her in order to help ensure its validity. Well, in 1943, St. Thomas had been hit by bombs dropped by the Luftwaffe during an air raid, and uh, Peter Underwood uh, wrote about it in his book Haunted London and he recounted the testimony of hospital employee Charles Bide, who uh, was cleaning up some of the bomb damage on one of the upper floors in Block 8 when he noticed a figure standing behind him. He could see her reflected in the glass of a large mirror, which is one of the few left unbroken. He said she had a good head of hair and her dress was old-fashioned and gray, looked ruffled, and he thought uh, to himself, possibly been lying down, resting after a busy night. Well, as he looked at the figure... Closely, he uh, suddenly felt very cold. Although he had the impression she didn't mean him, she did not mean him any harm. But uh, the coldness grew rapidly and became intense and penetrating. And certainly by this time he felt frightened, And you might expect. He fled the room, but according to his wife, he regretted this impulsive act for the rest of his life. He later became convinced the ghostly lady in gray was trying to convey a message of some kind to him. A message that might offer some way to help free her from whatever torment she seems to be suffering. And one for which he blew his only opportunity to receive. Well, there's one thing that many of the gray lady sightings appear to have in common. A sensation of sudden and intense cold which often seems to accompany her presence. Time and time again throughout the years, it's described as an icy chill that seeps into the mirror of those who see this troubled spirit. and They're sometimes paralyzed in her tracks till she's either passed them by or disappeared into thin air. Well, Although she's sometimes seen to be standing still, the Grey Lady is just as likely to be seen in an apparent rush to get to some unknown destination. Her facial expression has been described as troubled and as though some great emotional burden is being carried on her shoulders. One particularly intriguing episode took place in 1929. Two hospital administrators encountered her between Block 7 and 8. One of the men experienced that common sensation of freezing and saw the apparition as plain as day. And his colleague, unfortunately, saw nothing unusual, being quite taken aback by his companion's uh, shocked expression. Well, unlike the wispy, transparent ghost of fiction, the Great Lady of St. Thomas is sufficiently solid to be, st- be mistaken for a flesh and blood uh, nurse. At least until the retro nature of her uniform strikes the observer. And although making contact and interacting with some of the employees who see her, she rarely responds when spoken to, and unless it's to a patient, in which case her demeanor changes entirely. In fact, one especially dis- a fascinating re- aspect of the great lady is haunting as she presents in a much calmer, far more tranquil manner when she encounters patients within the hospital. Often standing at the foot of their bed during the long, lonely hours of the night, comforting them and trying to soothe away their fears. Having lost none of the nurse's trademark and compassion for the loss of her, along with the loss of her physical body. Well, some of the medical profession believes that the appearance of a ghost in a hospital ward may presage the imminent death of a patient. That's a superstition. It seems out of place in the modern world of high-tech medicine, but it persists nonetheless. That'll be impossible, maybe almost useless, to try and make this link in a large hospital like St. Thomas, where patients quite naturally die on a daily basis is nonetheless thought-provoking to consider. Those cases in which the ghost was seen by a patient who was close to death and then subsequently died shortly after that. After all, we know the Grey Lady can be seen by some and not by others, as evidenced by the case of the two hospital administrators I just talked about. We still don't know why it is that some people see ghosts while others don't, even when they're standing in the same room together. But it's undeniably true that those who are close to death report a much greater number of ghost sightings and paranormal experiences than those who are completely healthy. Peter Underwood, Peter Underwood reveals several instances where his patients St. Thomas encountered the ghost of Lady in Grey and went on to die shortly after that. One very thirsty gentleman who happened to be suffering from terminal cancer uh Said that she uh, filled a glass of water during the night when his actual flesh and blood nurse uh, came along to do the same thing. He thanked her but declined, pointing her in the direction of the ghostly gray nurse who was still standing at the foot of the bed. No one can only imagine the sweat breaking out on the forehead of the living nurse as she turned slowly to the face of the end of the bed to find that there was nobody standing there. Because remember, not everybody can see the ghostly figures. Well, the great lady graduated from serving water to that uh, most British of institutions, serving up a hot cup of tea for another patient who received it gratefully from her one night. Another patient made reference to a nurse who quite often came to tend him, a nurse who dressed much differently than the starched blues and whites of the other nurses at St. Thomas. And as it wouldn't be a stretch of the imagination, uh, he described her as... Uh, wearing a long gray skirt. And the gray lady was spotted by another cancer patient, apparently warming her hands by the fireplace on the ward. Well, not surprisingly, he died two days after seeing her. The um, Dr. Allison Leary talked about her encounter with the ghostly gray lady, which happened when she was a young doctor working at St. Thomas. She said, I worked at St. Thomas's before becoming a student there. So I was familiar with the hospital and its layout. And uh, she said she was also familiar with the legends and stories, but never paid much attention to them. She said when she was younger, she used to, she and others used to dare each other to ride the Paternoster. It's sort of an open elevator in the basement, supposed to be haunted. Well, in the early 1990s, before the hospitals uh, had a lot of retail outlets, she had been on the uh, firm. I was a student with an assigned team uh, all day and all night. The only option to eat that not very appealing hospital food was between the hours of midnight and two in the morning. The other option was to wait till 6 a.m. for breakfast. The only place to get food was the cafeteria in the south wing of the hospital. That's the oldest part of St. Thomas, is in the Italian pavilion style designed by Florence Nightingale. South wing corridor that... Uh, The next to Nightingale Ward's to the south wing is um, very long. and the cafeteria known as Shepherd's Hall, was originally the the Victorian nurse's dining room, was about two-thirds of the way down this corridor. It was about 2 a.m., and she was in a hurry not to miss lunch. The corridor was deserted at that hour, so she hurried from the the more modern north wing toward her destination. About halfway down the corridor, she noticed her woman in a long gray dress with dark hair. And uh, Dr. Leary said in her tired state, she didn't really process what she was seeing. He said she kept moving toward her, purposely, very real, not at all ethereal. Looking back, she heard no footsteps from her. It's very hard not to make any kind of noise in a hospital at night. It never occurred to her that this could be the great lady. Came to her and looked at her before looking away and moving past her. Dr. Leary said uh, she remembered the chill in the air. She did so. It was then she recalled the story she'd heard of the Grey Lady, turned to look behind her, but she'd already vanished. Well, many other people who worked in the hospital have heard about the Grey Lady. One of the most common stories was that she warned of an impending death. Dr. Leary said, unfortunately, she didn't hear of anybody dying on this particular occasion, so perhaps there's another reason for her appearance. Well, theories and rumors and legends abound as to the identity of the mysterious ghostly Grey Nurse. As such tend, uh, tales tend to do, they've grown into the, tell- in the telling as they were passed down through the decades, and each new generation of healthcare professionals seems to add something new. Whether she's really the earthbound spirit of a nurse who committed suicide in the hospital, or was killed on the premises in a fatal fall down an elevator shaft, or died due to a disease that she contracted while caring for patients who were staying there, is now impossible to say. All these stories and more have made the rounds among the hospital personnel throughout the years and one story is uh, considered more fascinating and tantalizing than the others. Some of the St. Thomas's staff have professed that uh, their belief that the ghostly great lady is not other than the most eminent of nurses, Florence Nightingale herself. Now Florence Nightingale is a name that's both well known and revered by nurses all around the world. And indeed, many consider her to be the Mother of the nursing profession, as it's known today. But she's perhaps most famously known by the nickname of the Lady with the Lamp. She got that nickname in 1854 when she led a team of 38 volunteer nurses, having trained them herself and a group of nuns, out to tend the British soldiers who had been wounded in the Crimean War. Well, what Florence Nightingale and her nurses found when they arrived at Scutari was something akin to a nightmare. Small army of young men with injuries ranging all the way from minor fractures of the limbs to completely mangled and butchered bodies was being essentially ignored by their superior officers. Wounded soldiers were rotting away, sometimes literally out of sight in the unsanitary and uncomfortable facilities without access to adequate food, medical supplies, or treatment. The Nightingale nurses rolled up their sleeves, so to speak, and set about aggressively remedying that situation. When the Army doctors had Going back to their beds for the night, Florence Nightingale in her solitary lap was, could still be seen walking the wards throughout the long hours of darkness, administering medical care and emotional support to the, the sick and the wounded without a care for personal comfort or rest. And to the men of the British Army, she was truly the closest thing to an angel walking the earth that they could possibly conceive of. Well, upon returning home to London from her service in the Crimean War, Nightingale wasted no time in establishing a former school of nursing based out of St. Thomas's Hospital. And there, young ladies were trained in the practical arts of clinical nursing before moving on to practice their profession around the country. Nightingale wrote uh, prodigiously on the subject of medicine and nursing and heavily inspired the American nursing movement that sprang up during the Civil War. Well, Florence Nightingale died in her sleep in August of 1910. And so great was her standing among the nation that... Uh, she was offered one of the greatest honors that can be stowed on a Briton. She was buried in Westminster Abbey, the resting place of Britain's great, good, and noble, located in five minutes' walk from St. Thomas's. Her family declined the honor, choosing instead to bury Florence closer to their home. Modern nursing professionals owes an incalculable debt to this angel of Secutari. The existence of this debt is acknowledged in many places throughout the modern culture. For example, a U.S. Navy troop transport bore the name USS Florence Nightingale. Aircrafts used to ship wounded soldiers, uh, American soldiers, home from uh, Vietnam were officially named Nightingales. And many medical facilities around the world bear her name today. Uh, but, so what are we to make of the theory that Florence Nightingale's restless spirit might be the gray lady at St. Thomas's Hospital? She was indeed dark-haired, nurses of her era did sometimes wear the long gray dresses at the eyewitnesses' report. But more telling, the behavior of the gray lady gliding through the hospital wards at night bringing care and solace to those who were sick and lonely would be in character to her. History also tells us she was a woman who didn't gladly suffer those whom she perceived to be less incompetent or capable of meeting her high standards which may explain some of the less tranquil encounters that some have had with her throughout the years. And it has to be noted that Florent Nightingale's ghost has been reported elsewhere, sitting in a pew at the St. Margaret of Antioch Churchyard, located in the Hampshire village of Willow, where she grew up as a young girl. If the theory that intelligent ghosts return from death or, or frankly, remain earthbound, sometimes because of a strong emotional attachment to a place that has any basis in fact, It would seem to be quite reasonable that Florence Nightingale should return to the quarters of the building in which she created one of her greatest enduring legacies. And yet, she died at the grand old age of 90, and the Grey Lady is certainly considerably younger in appearance than that. Unless we're fortunate enough to one day capture her on film, the mystery of her identity may never be solved. But it would be interesting to know if, in fact, the Grey Lady is, in fact, Florence Nightingale. Well, from uh, St. Thomas in London, let's go to Paviglia Island in Venice, Italy. It's nestled away in the crystal clear blue waters of the Venice Lagoon. It's a lush, green, tropical island by the name of Paviglia, 17 acres in size. It's got that beautiful postcard look that makes you want to pull up a chair, pour a tall glass of something cold, and sit down and take in the sunshine and the fresh air. At least that's how it seems when you view the island from the air. That's before you take a closer look and realize that much of Paviglia's soil is actually composed of the ashes of cremated human corpses. That certainly gives you a different take on matters. And although there are usually birds singing in the trees, the streets themselves are permanently deserted and devoid of all human life. Now there are animals plenty to be found in Paviglia, lizards and rabbits and insects, but nothing in the way of humanity, at least nothing to do with the living. Nation authorities prefer to keep the island closed to tourists and the public in general, and due to the island's association with the supernatural, even those residents who live nearby choose not to set, set foot on its shores. Go door to door in the locality, or ask around in the bars and remnants and restaurants, and you'll find that uh, those who live on Paviglia's doorstep are extremely reluctant to even discuss the place with outsiders. most common piece of advice you can give them to strangers is a simple, you're crazy if you step foot there. It's long had a fearsome reputation of being haunted to such an extent that some of the local fishermen and pleasure boat uh, present bloters tend to uh, give the place a wide berth when they were sailing upon the lagoon believing it to be a place that's both evil and cursed. Well, historians believe that Venice was founded sometime around the year 450 B.C. by refugees fleeing from the barbarian hordes of Attila the Hun. More than 100,000 piles were driven deep into the coastal mud and sand to provide the solid foundation by which a magnificent city could be built. Now, Venice is famous for its bridges, canals, and the serenely drifting gondolas that are punted slowly along the waterways. It's also known for such infamous figures as Casanova, supposedly irresistible to women, and the world's greatest lover who was born there in 1725. Fortunes of Venice have always been intertwined with those of the sea, which soon became the city's lifeblood. Main in the form of cargo ships that constantly float across the Adriatic Sea, bringing spices and silks from the Far East. Venetians have always been seafarers and traders and merchants by tradition, and I mean, you don't have to look any further. Marco Polo sailed from uh, Venice to China during the Middle Ages in order to demonstrate uh, that it could be done. But the benefits of international sea trade brought with them one great and terrible risk. Disease, particularly bubonic plague, which was carried into cargo holds and merchant ships by rats and fleas. Plague has decimated the population of Venice on several occasions throughout its history killing at least half the city's inhabitants in the year 1348 when it was uh, sent an estimated 50,000 unfortunate victims uh, to their graves. During the late 1700s, throughout much of the 1800s, the island of Proviglia was pressed into service as a place of temporary quarantine for ships arriving from overseas and intended to dock at Venice. With the Black Death at its height, no arrivals will be kept in isolation for a period of at least 40 days. When a pair of ships brought the dreaded plague to Venice in 1793, the Venetian authorities responded quickly and decisively. But not only quarantining those sailors who were infected to the shores of Poviglia, but also by shipping plague victims across from the mainland, not with the bodies of those that already died from it. In a real sense, it was already too late. The streets were choked with the bodies of the newly dead, a huge source of potential infection themselves. Bodies ultimately got burned and interred, and either on the mainland itself or on one of the outlying quarantine islands such as Praviglia. And scenes that must have been reminiscent of a horror movie, barges piled high with human corpses worked their way slowly through the streets of Venice, fresh um, bodies being tossed onto their decks from each new intersection as they passed. These death boats and made for the open sea, sailing out to Praviglia where their Cargo was dumped unceremoniously ashore before the vessel set sail once again for another macabre round trip. Well, these uh, unfortunate plague sufferers who were sent to such a, an island typically remained there until they either returned to good health or until they died, in which case they were buried in one of the rudimentary plague pits that were hastily dug around the island. So plentiful the number of plague deaths that took place at Paviglia. Local legend now says the island was actually uh, raised up from the charred ashes of these unfortunate victims. It's not the only island used for the purpose of um, isolating the mainland from the horrors of the Black Death, though. Venetians are now credited with inventing the concept of the lazarette, an island used for dis- to disinfect or quarantine the those infectious agents that might otherwise have contaminated the mainland. Angel Island and San Francisco Bay performed the same function for the hundreds of thousands of immigrants flocking to the west coast of America. One intriguing discovery came to light in 2009 when an archaeological team from the University of Florence unearthed a mass grave of plague victims when they were conducting an excavation on the Venetian island of Lazzarito, Nuevo. They found, what they found drew answers and attention from all around the world. They found the body of a vampire. At least that's what the plague era venetians firmly believed. Belief in vampires, the restless, unquiet dead, who were thought to crawl from their graves after the sun went down and suck on the blood of the living was commonplace. During a time of death, on such a massive scale, hastily buried bodies were sometimes exhumed to be moved uh, or to have uh, other corpses placed in the same plague pit. diggers were horrified to discover some of the corpses had fingernails and hair that continued to grow after death. Others had become bloated when the rigor rigor mortis faded away and the gases within the body began to expand. These same bodily gases would sometimes negotiate their way out of the corpse's mouth, which to the superstitious eyes of the gravediggers appeared to be blood-curdling moans or cries. And speaking of blood, a tendency of some corpses to leak blood from their eyes and mouth only fed the superstitious belief in the vampire myth which in turn led to the vampire drawing widespread blame for supposedly spreading the disease, famine, and pestilence across the land. Well, the people at the time developed various methods of dealing with those who they believed were vampires. It uh, wasn't unheard of for the, these corpses to be decapitated, with the head and body being buried at the crossroads, and belief of a vampire rose from its grave and unconsecrated ground to be confused and unable to find its way home to torment its fellow vid- villagers. Thanks to Hollywood, we're more used to seeing vampires being staked through the heart in order to keep them confined to the grave for all eternity, but uh, people of Plague-era Venice took the equally practical approach of jamming a brick in between the jaws of this particular suspected vampire. That was done in the hope of making it unable to suck any more blood. Well, you know, plague is not the only thing that has contributed to the haunting of Paviglia. During less enlightened times, the Venetian authorities used the waters on politically to carry out the execution of the convicted criminals. They tied them up and submerged them beneath the waves until they drowned. And uh Viga has been occupied by various tenants, then abandoned and reoccupied by others over and over again during the past thousand years. In addition to its role as a place of quarantine and burial, the island has is served not only as a defensive coastal fortress, but also as an insane asylum during the twentieth century finally abandoned for good in the 1960s, essentially been left to decompose, like so many of the bodies of those plague victims that are buried on its haunted soil. And With a death toll that it's always estimated could be as much as 100,000, it should come as no surprise to learn Pavigli is regarded as one of the most haunted hospital facilities in the world. Locals have long reported the sounds of cries uh, being heard at night on the deserted island. The mournful peal of a bell tolling, uh, chiming out from within the old abandoned bell tower, sometimes cuts through the still night air. Ghostly lights can be glimpsed dancing among the trees. Legend has it the apparition of a young girl whose ghost stands alone on the shores of the lagoon has been seen staring for, for lonely across the water at the home to which she can never return, hundreds of years after her death. Well, on that note, we come to the end of today's show. We'll finish up talking about Pervigli in our next show. And who knows what topics we'll come up with to go into after that. Until then, this is Ken Huddle for the Ken Huddle Show saying have a truly great evening